This is Tony from Sonata Arctica. This is Adrian Cowan from Seven Spires. This is Danny Marino from The Agonist. This is Ida from Trisphere. I'm Greg Browning from Crimson Shadows, and thanks for listening to the Great Metal Debate Podcast. fans, the podcast is back with another amazing artist interview. Today we're joined by Mike and Nina of Dark Power Metalers Hyloxalus. Mike and Nina, thanks so much for coming on The Great Metal Debate. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you. Let's start out with some general background from you both. How long have you each been playing music, and did you each grow up in musical homes? Mike, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Well... My dad played guitar a little bit, and he always had a guitar around, right? So there's a little bit of that, but I think the guitar thing started when I was in grade five, and I noticed this kid, like, across the room. He had, um, I, I didn't know what it was called at the time because I was 10, but he had, like, um, an SG knockoff, and I noticed that um, he was a very popular child with a lot of friends so i figured like you know if i bought a guitar that (laughs) i too could become a popular child with a lot of friends but then like so my knockoff like red strat which i kind of wish i had kept because like it was it was an epiphone strat somehow Back. Cool. So that would have been a cool find, but yeah, I eventually realized in lessons that you actually have to like practice to learn how to play guitar, so I got bored for a couple of years. And then I saw Angus Young on TV once, and I was like, oh, cool, now I actually kind of want to do that, so I started actually practicing and stuff. So that's how that came about. There's my story. Nina, what about you? <laughs> Yeah, um, well, being a singer, uh, I've been doing that since I was able to talk and annoy my mother. Um, so, <laughs> but thankfully, she and my grandfather kept me singing. And um, whenever she had the money, she'd put me in uh, any kind of lesson with anyone who had a name for themselves. And uh, that got me into opera. So I was studying opera seriously for quite a few years um and i was in the edmonton opera gala for a year um but uh yeah that got really boring and a little jaded so i thought well i listen to metal why don't i just make some and so that's how that came about and thankfully i met mike at um oh i actually don't recall it was a show but i can't remember which one i think um (laughs) It was with my band Soulborn. That's where yes, I would have met correct. you the first time. This is like five years ago. Yeah. So yeah, it was quite a while ago. And at that point, I had put out some of my own music and sang at a couple of uh, really small bar shows. And I begged him to come on stage with me to do a growling vocals. 
bit and he did and it went off like a rocket it was perfect and uh so he asked me to do this and now i'm i'm stuck <laughs> i'm not going anywhere <laughs> i i have to ask do you recall the song was that an original or was that a cover that folks would be familiar with that first song where you played together yeah it was actually uh last crusade by epica ah uh. yes yeah. Nice. Ah. It was such a it was such a a kind of a cringe fest. I was just doing covers because I literally had no band. Um, but I'm so proud of myself for stepping out there and doing it because I had come off of some really heavy mental health struggles, and so to be alive at all was something. But to be on stage was really proving to myself that this is what I want to do and I belong here. So. Um, thanks to Mike, I've actually had something to do with my music career. <laughs> That's awesome. And I count me as someone who is pro Epica covers, like any band that does that, I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> That's one of, uh, Mike. Oh, sorry. That was one of two times I've been asked to do a growl on somebody's Epica cover. Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, McKenna, she sings in Soulborn. She did one of those and asked me to do some screaming. So. That was cool, but it was a recording, so that's the time when you realize like how bad you suck, and <laughs> I had to do like eight million takes. If the comparison's Mark Yansen, I mean, I don't think that's a bad. That's yeah. you know, if you think you suck compared to that, it's that's pretty much the apex. So, and Mike, uh, speak if you would just what some of your early musical influences were, and I'm, I'm Mike, you alluded to ACDC and. Nina, I'm, I'm particularly curious on the classical end um, about your influences. Yeah, I mean, I was a Mozart girl um, for most of my singing, but um, I really enjoyed um, my one little cassette of Led Zeppelin that I had of Led Zeppelin IV, um, because, of course, the cliche must go on. And uh, I would just steal whatever rock and roll tapes my stepdad had laying around. And my dad was really into music and cars. So rock and roll was always really, um, even though it was classical, it was all I listened to. And I didn't really listen to anything contemporary until university. Um, and then that's when I found Epica. <laughs> was in university wow so it took a very long time for me to find it but i'm so glad i did okay. outstanding what about you mike uh let's see well um in grade nine i just learned like i spent half of it learning angus young licks for like that whole year but like at the same time, my dad put me in um, lessons with his very good like um, jazz and funk guitar player. And so I spent a lot of time learning that. I don't think I really liked it, but, but like the music part of it, but like, you know, just the mechanical like the theory kind of thing was, you know, that was sort of cool. And then I... uh then I got really into Rush, I think because of my mom. She's a <laughs> potter, and she would listen to the um, – I think I actually still have this copy, um, but um, Rush in Rio, she'd listen to that in her pottery studio all the time. And eventually I 
and eventually I stole that copy from her and I still have it. It's it's beat to fuck. The case is beat to fuck, but I must have listened to those CDs like a million times. I think Rush is kind of what gave me a taste for occasionally, I mean, not so much with this band, but just putting weird chords into things. So that was another one. I've interviewed enough bands. I feel like every musician, in particular instrumentalist, has gone through their prog phase. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then I found I out about... I prog rock band. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah. It was uh, It was an indulgent bunch. <laughs> yeah. That's prog. That's prog. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think a little later I found out about Metallica and Dream Theater, which kind of... Uh, that sort of led me into power metal because I was working in his kitchen and I had, um, we were allowed to play our music in the back. So I had dream theater going and, um, uh, one of the cooks comes up to me. He's like, what's this? It sounds like Nightwish." And I'm like, what's Nightwish?" And so he showed me Nightwish, oh And so that was a rabbit hole that I was in for, I think most of when I was in grade 12. So I love that band. I wish I could go back to when I didn't know Nightwish and re-experience that again. That <laughs> would be pretty awesome. Oh, and I think the other big one for me was Strapping Young Lad. Like when I yes, first heard nice. when I first heard City. Like I um, if for me, I haven't listened to any music that struck me as being as heavy as that album um, since then. I mean, that's just my that's just like my own personal taste. But yeah, that one affected me a lot. That's a That's a cool album. That's a great call. That's one that I think is very influential, but not often mentioned. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the first time that you all met. But how did the band Hyrolaxis actually come to be as an artistic unit? Oh, well. That's a I good had, question. <laughs> yeah. I had this it, old... You asked me. You just said you had some songs that you wanted me to listen to yeah. that yeah. you hadn't recorded, I think. <laughs> yeah. And part of the reason, Mike, I ask is because you have had some other projects. You you had a current project when you first met Nina. So I guess I'm curious, like, what was it that was percolating in your mind that didn't yet have an outlet in those other adventures? Uh, for some reason, I thought one of my bands was going to kick me out. They weren't. They had no plans on doing that. But I had that in the back of my mind for like three months. So that was half of it. And I had this old demo. It was a song that I had written for another band I was in called Storm Horizon that um i thought would be like a good jumping pad for like a new project idea that i had had which at the time i was kind of thinking like you know do my band soulborn but like way more just like power metal and guitars based with just a few keyboards so those two things are kind of what motivated me to start writing stuff um, that sounded kind of like this um, this one demo that I had. That was uh, that was our song "Frozen Rampart." Um, 
And so me and Nina, um, thankfully that got off to a pretty good start. So, um, I don't really keep, I don't really keep track of these things, but yeah, basically, uh, yeah, I thought Soulborn was going to kick me out. So I decided to like, you know, I wanted to start like a new thing and, um, Soulborn didn't kick me out. So I just had like, you know, more projects going at once, but yeah, just, I kind of wanted to do this, uh, power metal thing. Well, it's starting to sound kind of different nowadays. Like, especially the material I wrote for this um, idea for a full length we have coming up, it's like, it's way the fuck different. Like, imagine our sound, like, now, but um, mixed with a whole lot of, like, extreme metal bullshit. Like, there's there there's a lot of just, like, blatant rip-offs of strap, or, well, not too blatant, but yeah, um, <laughs> fairly inspired by strapping young lad type of riffing in there. So I do want to segues into discussion about the EP that you released earlier this year entitled Postomatic. How long had those songs been in development? And then also, what has been the response so far to that offering? I think I wrote the first one like a year and a half ago, sometime in beginning of 2020. And it would have been, I got them done pretty fast. But then, like, COVID hit, and um, we couldn't get together to record because there was no vaccine, and I didn't want to, like, accidentally make anybody sick. So that's why we left it. And uh, I guess as far as reception goes, since I actually promoted it this time, I was um, ple- I was pleasantly surprised we got a few pretty good reviews from it. And although nothing although nothing although nothing crazy. I it's, mean, uh, I don't know it, it's been good for for a pretty for a short EP. I mean, I'm pretty happy so far with the response, but uh that's because I know how hard it is to get a response at all <laughs> after doing well, right. trying to foray into my own stuff and with other bands. Like I'm really happy Mike's put in a lot of work to put this out there. Yeah. So I mean, the one thing, he's mostly to blame for that. <laughs> yes, the one thing that I was happy about was that there was only one review that called me out for like how badly I half-assed the artwork. Like, just that fucking, like, just that fucking green thing that only happened because I was like, shit, I I have, like, no money, but I don't want to wait, like, another fucking year to put the thing out. So I kind of just, like, you know, trolled the internet for ideas for album covers that I could do for cheap. And then I was like, um... Oh, wait, Opeth, my arm's your hearse. That was just a picture that the guy's girlfriend took, like, just somewhere out in the fucking forest. So I just went with my fucking phone camera, snapped a picture of some trees, and I put a bunch of filters on it in there. <laughs> and, there <laughs> was only the one, and there was only one review where the guy went, man, this is fucking ugly. And I was like, 
You know, you're kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Songs are great, though. Yeah, if the worst critique is the album art, I, I think that's actually a pretty big positive. People will trash the music if they don't like it. Nita, do you want to speak to your development of the vocals for the songs? And I don't know, were you responsible for all the lyrics? Um, Mike has pretty much taken the reins on a lot of the writing. <clears throat> on Frozen Rampart, I wrote a few things. Um, but honestly, my writing style is very, very different than our songs. And so I've taken a step back to let Mike make this into his vision because I love the vision and I've done a lot already with other things. And I'd love to just see what someone else can come up with um, and kind of put my put my lead singer ego in the back and maybe learn something. And uh, I have learned so much. Um, Mike's really challenged me with these songs. I went from a good soprano artist to a singer that uses her entire voice from, you know, well, I haven't, I haven't recorded any guttural things, but um, I've been working on them and that's all come from this ability of Mike to write uh, melodies that scale my entire range and that is very difficult to sing i wouldn't wish it on anybody at the same time i'm so glad that someone's challenging me to sing these things that make me sit down and go shit that's not right it's still not right (laughs) (laughs) so um i i've shaped it in that my voice is capable of many things and then others not so much so we've had to kind of work around that but um i think i I add that uh, classical tone um, that I'm pretty proud of cultivating through, you know, so many years. Well, the first single was Voices from the Septic Hollow. Tell us about the inspiration for that track. Death Clock, The Galaxy. Uh, That's where where Ah. I ate the vibe from. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Not the notes specifically, but the general vibe, like like that right. Tom thing. It's very much just like, okay, uh, um, I want to do a song that sounds kind of like this, but not necessarily with growling. Just a little well, bit. Absolutely. Well, 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 a little bit. There's that like one part where um, I was trying to sound like Emperor Palpatine meets vomit. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about that interlude portion there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that little yeah, 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 yeah. like that thing, which is way harder to get than I expected. I tried a bunch of different voices, <laughs> and like that was the one that worked. I tried like I tried doing a whisper layer, but no matter how like I mixed it, that didn't really work. So like the um the half-assed goblin thing is kind of where we ended up with that. And the idea that I had for the lyrics of that song, what was it? I I hate talking about the lyrics that I write because I still don't think that I'm very good. But the uh, the bass idea was like some fucking uh, demon thing that's um, trying to talk the listener into, I don't know, shooting up a school. 
I mean, I kept it vague because I think putting school shooting into a song would be like in pretty fucking bad taste. So, so, so the lyrics are pretty vague, like just trying to talk you into doing something bad. But that, that was what was in my head for the whole thing. Now, I think outside the EP and prior to it, I believe, you all released a video with a cover of the Falconer yeah. track. <laughs> Catch the Shadows. T- uh, tell me a little bit about the, the inspiration for that, uh, why, you know, why you chose that track. I don't know. I think we just, I just kind of felt like we needed something to do. Because we put out that demo and I didn't promote it too good. So I figured, like... I didn't want to do a cover of a super popular song, but a band that was just well known enough. You know what I mean? And, um, oh, yeah. Plus, it was just kind of fun to ear out all the little bits. Like with the guitars and shit, especially, I tried really hard to get it, like almost, almost as exact as I could, except for one lick in the solo is different, but, um, I think yeah, I think for the most part I got all the little details of the arrangement. And also oh, that was the first song that I've ever sung in my chest voice uh for a recording. So that was hard. <laughs> Going from a, a high C to um my chest voice was quite the challenge and it took a, a great teacher in Edmonton, um, Sharky Studios to get my my vocals um in check down there and in tune consistently so it'll be fun to sing that one live it's definitely Mm. a bit of a challenge but now i love falconer so that was that was a nice uh rabbit hole to go down yeah falconer is sweet i was happy when I, i messaged their band page i was like hey hey we did your we did your song can you can you so, so, so what do you think? The guy actually replied. He's like, oh, man, this cool. is dope. So I figure if anyone says, you know, anything bad about it, I'm like, well, the oh, guy who wrote it liked it. it so <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah. Since you're obviously fans, I, I have to ask what you all each thought about Falcon or calling it quits last year following the release of their album. Well, I don't know. I mean, they kind they I thought they had already called it quits, like they did that one in 2014, and then they did what they said was their final live gig. So I thought they'd called it quits already. So I was surprised to see them release another album and then call it a day. But uh, right. So I wasn't too shocked, but I am happy that the record did um. The, the the quality, I mean, the quality is always there, but the quality was really there for that one. Like like that Desert Dream song, I was fucking I was fucking stoked on. Yeah. Completely yeah. agree. Yeah, I mean, it's always sad so, when bands, uh, you know, stop touring or break up or join other projects. But at the same time, what they put out was so good that it will last. It's it's better to stop a little bit early, I think. Um, then, you know, tour until you're dead and hate yourself or hate your job. <laughs> and if they loved what they were doing and they decided that that was that, I'm happy for them. So we've had a number of Canadian metal acts on our show. We're located in Kentucky. And much like the U.S., Canada is a big place. So it's like 
talking about Canadian metal doesn't really speak to the the various areas. What's the metal and music scene like there where you all are located in and around Edmonton? And how much camaraderie is there with metal acts, you think, throughout Canada? I mean, I don't know. I've only played, well, I've mostly played, except for that one time I played in uh, Toronto with my old band for one of those Vakken battle shows. Um, I've just played in like like the western part, and as far as I can tell, everyone seems to like each other. There's yeah, um, you get bad apples, right? But um, for the most part, everyone keeps it pretty above board. You know, yeah. like everyone's everyone's pretty nice to each other, and uh, I don't know. I don't know the far-reaching extent of that, but um, so far so good uh, from what I've like, seen. There's um, there's like a few like little there's a couple of little like you know sub scenes that are kind of their own thing. Like all the black metal bands here, um, for the most part, tend to just like play with other black metal bands, and that's kind of its really? own thing. At least as yeah, at true. least as at least as far as I've noticed, and also hmm. for some reason, like um, there have been a few like really ex- um like in like the new wave of traditional heavy metal scene, like three of like the really big bands in that right now are from Alberta. There's um the two big ones are Riot City and Traveler, but Gatekeeper also started in Edmonton before Jeff Black oh. moved that over to Vancouver. And also oh there's a there's a new one. Have you heard of Tower Hill? I have not. Oh no. yeah, you should you should go ch- you should go check you should go check that out. That project is new. Um the guy's name is Andrew Trainer. Like he's put together a live band, but that demo seems to have taken off um pretty quickly. So I am thinking they will get pretty popular within that niche. Then, like, outside of that, um, there's a lot of death metal bands. Alberta Alberta generally likes death metal. I think of any, like, power metal kind of sounds were one of maybe, I don't know, like, six bands or something. It's starting to go in a little bit right. more of a clean singing direction, but for the most part, you get a lot of like, you know, you get a lot of chuggy death metal here, which is fine. <laughs> I mean, for power, I mean, uh, for power metal, we're um, there's well, Ra- Ravenous is from here, and we're playing with them in October, and um, the the bass player that we got for our live band, um, Corey, he has a symphonic metal thing called Divine. That's new, and there aren't that there aren't as many of those type of bands here. Um, but yeah, that's it's starting to change, which which I think is pretty cool. Um, cool. Yeah. I'll, I want to check those those bands out, including Divine. That yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah. Part of the reason I ask, I was at a power metal fest in Wisconsin, power. Uh, in the U.S. last weekend, and it seemed that every band there was talking about Unleash the Archers. And, and in particular, what a model they are for what, like, they, Unleash the Archers is where they want to be as a power metal band, dis, despite the early hiccups in their current tour getting across yeah. the border. And so I'm curious to ask you guys, like, for you all, like, 
do you all see Unleashed the Archers as kind of a model? And and then yes. uh, more more generally, what's the next step for your band as far as growing the fan base and opportunities to perform? I think we need a full length and a video. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm so scared of talking about performing right now because like COVID's going up again. Like, cause like the, like the shows we have booked in October, like I'm kind of, I'm pretty amped on, but also in my mind, I'm like, oh man, something stupid's going to happen sure. and they're going to get canceled or something. Like I really, like I really hope not. Cause you know, like we just got the live band together and that's going really good. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. There are a number of tours that are ongoing, at least here in the U S that are successful, but there's also ones that have just stopped on a dime and mm-hmm. canceled. And that's just the effect on a band to have something that where you've invested time and money. That's so devastating. So I think you're right to be concerned about that possibility. I think, it, well, the one thing that's kind of underscored for me is like, you know, everyone talks about, you know, live, 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 live. You, you have to go live, right? Which in... I guess to an extent is true, but even more important or, um, how do I put this? I wouldn't say even more important, but I think central to all of that is having good recordings and, you know, good songs. Cause you know, that's the shit that people remember at the end of the day. Right. Yep. You know, you could be yep. like, that's the basis. <clears throat> yeah. Like, a, like, you know, you could have a really fantastic live show, but if the songs aren't there, then I don't think people care as much or, you know, they don't care for as long, right? You know, they go home and listen to your album. They're like, eh, it's, it's okay. And new material you know I mean? as well. If you aren't putting out new stuff, you kind of get left behind. Yeah. Which is why I stopped putting out my own stuff for a while because it was just exhausting, honestly. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And uh, talking about Unleash the Archers, I think they're super fucking cool. I hope they're able to come to Edmonton again. Their last two albums have been so good. That's cool for me because, like, I saw them 10 years ago, like, opening for a local band here for their album show. And I've seen them play in, like, like a tiny little bar to maybe like a hundred people uh, happened over the course of a decade just with them doing tons and tons of touring and stuff. I think that's cool. Cause I don't think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw them, I think it was four years ago in Cincinnati, Ohio in a small bar, probably didn't have 50 people mm-hmm. there, but you just kind of got the sense, the vibe and, and, and something that I always appreciate bands, that they're giving the full performance regardless of whether it's 50 people or 500 or 5,000 people, you know, you're getting that same professional performance. You got that and you got that sense of, yeah, this band's, this band's going places. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even like in 2012, I remember they'd had a couple of videos that did really well online. And so the buzz was already there. So I think what helped that was when they released Apex, which in my or actually you could even say time you could even say like time stands still to an extent. I think those two albums are really where they figured out like that's where they figured out the songwriting. 
And that's when, like, especially with Apex, you saw the popularity just explode, right? I mean, I guess you could also say it was because they signed to Napalm, but I think there's more than that. Like, with Apex specifically, we're talking here. Um, I think it's more than that. That album to me is fucking, that one's special. Well, same with the last one, Abyss as well. Like, the songwriting in there is, like, damn near perfect. So, beginning to wrap up with you with a post-matic released and hopefully venues beginning to reopen and touring resuming. What does the band have planned for the remainder of 2021 and looking into the coming year? Well, uh, there's two shows in October where we're going to be opening for the band Ravenous for their album release shows. So. That's the only live plans I have so far. And we I've got some extra songs that I'm working on. Um, yeah, just that really play live and then like hole up and write some stuff again. Cause I would I really wanna I really wanna get to work on a full length album at some point. Yeah, that's our plan. And finally, what is the best way for fans to purchase music and merchandise from Haloxalus, including yeah. the most recent EP? A posomatic. Band, well, uh, band camp. <laughs> band camp. I mean, we we only have one piece of merch. I printed a few CDs of that, but you know, you you could purchase the songs on our band camp because they will like actually give you some you know money when people do that. So go to the band camp. Go go buy our album. So like. Mm, I also like seeing like you know little profile pictures pop up on the screen on the Bandcamp page. Gift fuels my ego a bit. So yes, go on Bandcamp, buy our, <laughs> buy our music, give us some money, fuel our egos. And our and our poor musician bank accounts. <laughs> it sounds like a future very bright for you guys. I'm Maybe. excited for your opportunities to perform in October. Uh, ravenous uh, awesome opportunities ahead i think i think bright days are ahead for you guys love the concept of the band and how you're executing it mike nina thanks so much for coming on the great metal debate and good luck to you going forward thank you so yeah much. thank you